tonight as we uh, look at the last book in our Bible, and that's the book of Revelation. And we're going to study the book of Revelation tonight. And I, I'm just going to tell you, there are so many ways to approach uh, this book. And we've been going through the 66 books of, uh, of the Bible. We started in the New Testament. You can see all the books there, all 66 of them. And if you remember, this is the 19th. Does anybody remember how many books are in the New Testament? How many? 27. There's 27 books in the New Testament, and this is the 19th uh, Wednesday night. So you can see we've condensed some of those Wednesdays to get 27 books into 19 lessons. All right, so we have covered a lot of Bible. Now, it's been more of an overview as we've gone through it. And so we, what we did was we got into the New Testament Gospels. We, we got to those church epistles and then we got to those books that were read, which were more general epistles that, that kind of dealt with not necessarily a specific church, like the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the church in Thessalonica. And so we got to those general epistles, like the book of Hebrews, the book of James, last week, Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John. So tonight we come to the book of Revelation, and I want you to have your Bible, because we'll look at a lot of the verses that are in our outline tonight. There may be a few that I pull up, but the book of Revelation is the book of final consummation. And again, you think about how our Bible, how the, the canon of scriptures, how the books are, the order that the books are put together. Now, I don't know about you, but it took me years before I realized that the Bible, the way the books are put together, the order of them is not chronological. You understand? The, it, when you look at it, it, does anybody know what they consider to be the oldest book in the Bible? The book of Job. And yet, think about in our Bible where it's situated. Now, when you come to the book of Revelation, it really is in its proper place. There are parts of other books not the entire book, but there's parts of other books of the Bible that would fit not only where the book of Revelation is, but even maybe towards the end of the book of Revelation, but because the entire book doesn't necessarily fit there, that's why they did not put it there. And hopefully that makes sense to you. If not, we'll move on, all right? I'm trying to make some sense tonight. So look at the name. Of course, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard... People call this, and I don't ever really want to make fun of somebody, but I've heard people say in the past, the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and there's only one Gospel. And we talked about that way back when. It's the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to John. Well, when you think about it, there's, there's only one Gospel of Jesus Christ, and when you get to this book, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelations of Jesus Christ. Now, I know, again, that may be semantics to some, but look at what it says here in the first verse of this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Notice this order. God gave this revelation unto Jesus to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Do you see the 
the, the kind of passing it on there. Does everybody see that? Uh, look at it again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent it and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And watch this. It was given then to the churches. So we see this whole uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek title, the very word, listen to me, the word revelation, the Greek word is the word apocalypse. That's what revelation is in the original language. Now, they both mean the same thing. The, the Greek title, apocalypse, signifies literally a revelation or a revealing of what was concealed or hidden. It's a disclosure of the truth. That's what revelation is. Revelation means the veil rolled aside. Remember what happened when Jesus died? What happened in the temple? The veil was rent too, right? And access was made. So look, those that could not go before now had access. By the way, aren't you glad we all have access now? We don't have to go to a priest. We can go directly to God. And we, with boldness, we can come before the throne of grace. And I love this. Now, if you're like me, I've been saved for 36 years. And I look at this book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, the that which was concealed or hidden has been disclosed, the veil has been rolled aside. How many of you are like me that however many times you've read the book of Revelation, you still don't understand it all? <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if we'll ever understand it all, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be reading it, studying it, allowing God by His Spirit to teach us what is in this book. And that's why I said earlier, there are many different ways to approach the book of Revelation. Now notice, this revelation was given by God to Jesus Christ. And then here again, Christ gave it to his angel. The angel showed it to John, and John sent it to the churches. Now look, at, look in your Bible there in chapter 1, in verse number 1. We looked at how he gave it unto him, showed it unto his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. Now look at verse 2. And it says here, John bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Look at verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. So we'll talk about those churches in just a minute, but watch this. Remember, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration is the recording of the Word of God. So how did we get the book of Revelation? The Spirit of God actually allowed John to write these words. Matter of fact, when you get to chapter number 10, it's kind of neat because John, and by the way, you and I would be doing the same thing. 
if we were beholding everything that John beheld, we'd be doing the same thing. Watch this. Here's what John was doing when he was seeing some of these things. John was going, And the Holy Spirit of God, here's what he said to John. John, John, write it down. <laughs> and John had, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of like some of you. You know, you got the blanks in front of you tonight, and you're listening, and then you look down at your paper, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I missed a blank. I, I see that look on your face as many Wednesday nights, all right? So, listen, I'll make sure you get fulfilled. You get all your blanks filled in, all right? Now, look. When you think about this book, look at verse number 8 in, in the first chapter here. Jesus is talking, and notice what he says. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. What a great verse. There's a lot of uh, verses that are similar to this in the book of Revelation. Now, when you look at this verse, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Anybody in here familiar with the Greek alphabet? If you're not, just hang around. This is South Florida. We're doing hurricanes by the Greek alphabet. Alpha, beta, gamma. You know, we're going right through iota. Right after that would be kappa. Then lambda. That's the Greek alphabet. Well, guess what the first letter of the Greek alphabet is? Alpha. What's the last letter of the Greek alphabet? Anybody know? Omega. Now, when Jesus said, watch this, when he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, watch this, he wasn't just saying, I'm the beginning and the end. Here's what he's literally saying. Yes, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, but I'm everything in between two. That's what he's saying. And, and I love how it, it quantifies it here in verse number eight. Look at it. He says, which is, that's present tense, which was, that's what tense, past, and then notice the other one, which is to come, which is what? Future. So look, he's saying beginning, end, and everything in between. So I love when you look at, at this, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now look at the occasion of writing of this book was the oppression of the people of God by outside enemies, and by disloyalty and worldliness on the part of lukewarm Christians. Remember what God said in the book of Revelation? He says, you're lukewarm, and look, I don't know about you, but I, 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 I like my water cold unless I'm drinking like tea, and then I like it hot, but if it's lukewarm, God says, I would spew you out of my mouth. God says, I don't want you to be a lukewarm Christian. Do you know that this, look, this whole COVID mess, you know what it's done? It's caused a lot of Christians that were on fire for God, that were hot for the Lord, to become lukewarm. It's dangerous to be lukewarm Christians. And so again, we see this book trying to help us to understand this matter of being disloyal to God, being worldliness, and we need to be Christians that are on fire for the Lord. Now notice the message of the book of Revelation was intended for the church in general. It doesn't identify, now those churches of Asia or Asia Minor are mentioned, but it's not to one specific church. Notice Revelation twenty two sixteen. Jesus said, he says, I have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. See the plurality there. 
He says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning stars. So it was intended for the church in general. This last book of the Bible was given to summarize the Old and New Testament truth and to fulfill all unfulfilled prophecy. So look, there is, when you study the Word of God, there is prophecy that has already been fulfilled in the Word of God, but there is still yet prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, every promise of God will happen. Not one promise of God will fall to the ground. And everything that God has said will be fulfilled in the days to come. And many people are enamored with prophecy. And this book contains much prophecy. Now, these last words from God in the book of Revelation assure the believer of the final triumph of good over evil. All right? Now, you know, there's a lot of times you'll see, especially like uh, I know some people, and again, I'm not necessarily advocating, but if you ever watch the Disney movie, there's always good forces and evil forces. And in the end, the good usually wins over the evil. And that's what happens in the book of Revelation. We see the good winning over the evil because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the contents of the book of Revelation, this book is a commentary on what John saw, what things uh, of his day were, and what the future held. And we just saw that in verse number eight, uh, 8 of chapter 1. We also see it, look at verse 19 of chapter 1. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So again, you have past, present, and future, and this is a commentary of everything that John saw. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing if we read God's Word and we keep God's Word. We see that in the Word of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, the character, no doubt, I already mentioned it. This is a book of prophecy. And so the subject is prophecy concerning the judgments of Jesus Christ, who is the God-appointed judge of this world. And so Jesus Christ one day will rule and reign. Notice again in chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ God gave unto him to show his servants the things that which shall shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John, who bear record of the word and of the testimony of Jesus Christ of all the things that he saw. We also see in John's writing, the same writer wrote the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and notice in chapter 5 of John's gospel, the, the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto who? Unto the Son, and hath given him, the Son, verse 27, authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And notice it's not a little letter S, it's a capital S. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Son of Man. Now the purpose of the book of Revelation is to make known to us what shall be the end or the consummation of all of God's redemptive purposes. And again, it may be hard for many of us, I, I mentioned earlier, to get a hold of everything that is really going to transpire in the Word of God. This is a book that you're going to have to take some time, probably the rest of your life, to study it, to really try to understand the vast portion of it. But one uh, thing we do study here at our church is Bible doctrines. And when it comes to doctrines, the book of Revelation falls into the doctrine that we call eschatology. Now, the word ology on the end there means a word about. 
And so eska is actually a word that means last. So it's a study of last things, or we would say the study of end times. And uh, that's, again, a lot of people love to come to this because of the study and what it holds. Now, Titus wrote in Titus chapter 1, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised, notice here, before the world began. God made that promise. The Bible even mentions that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the, of the world. Look here in the book of Revelation, the last chapter, verse 3. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no more night, and no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So again, you see this study of end times, what's going to happen in the days ahead. And again, I wish I had time to get deeper with you. And I hope even just going through this tonight will cause some of you to say, wow, I never looked at the book of Revelation like that. Or I've always wondered about this. Hey, listen, that's why God wants us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. Dig in the word of God. I'm really just giving you an overview tonight is what I'm doing. Notice the outline here. And I just broke it down. Very simple. In the first chapter, we see the person of Jesus Christ, who is Christ in glory. In chapter number one, when you get to chapters two and three, you see there the possession of Jesus Christ, and that's the church in the world. Now, that's where those seven churches come. We'll talk a little bit about those churches here in a bit, but we'll think about our church, Bible Baptist Church, or Brother Vicino's work down in Miami Lakes, how th that, look, God has allowed us to be uh, a part of His church, and of course, local assemblies of believers, we have a responsibility. Why? Because we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We, we are His church, the church of the living God. And then as you get into the book of Revelation, you go beyond chapters 2 and 3 for the rest of the book, what do you see? You see the program of Jesus Christ. And when I think about that, I think of how you'll, have, you'll see there as you read the scene in heaven, uh, once you get into this portion, you see the tribulation that will take place in the world, and then you'll see eternity unveiled at, in the end of the book. Wonderful overview there, and just a very simple, basic outline to the book of Revelation. Now, I mentioned earlier that God used John the Beloved, the apostle, to pen these words, and when did he write it? 95 A.D., towards the end of the first century. This was the last of the books that were written that we call our Bible, the Word of God, and notice the Roman Emperor Domitian, and of course there were many of them, but Domitian banished John to the Isle of Patmos, and that is where John wrote this book on that Isle of Patmos, and so we see that's when and where it was written. Notice what he writes here in verse number 9 of chapter 1, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom, and patience of Jesus Christ, notice here, he was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was banished because of his faith in God, because his love for the Lord, because of the word of God. Hey, listen, all of them, every one of the, the, the disciples, the apostles, they all suffered persecution. They all suffered, why? Because of a stand. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to challenge you as a Christian. Stand for the Lord in the day that God's given to you. 
Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. Read the Word of God. Share it with folks as you go out into this world. And John found himself on an island. Hey, listen, Paul found himself in prison, and God still used him there. You know, God can put us anywhere, and when God puts us somewhere, God can use us wherever he puts us. And John found himself on the Isle of Patmos. The key chapter is chapter 19 that deals with Christ coming in glory. What a great chapter. And if you haven't read chapter 19, go back and read that. I read earlier the key verse, verse 19 of chapter 1, the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, so past, present, and the things which shall be hereafter, future. Covers everything dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega. The key word, wonderful word here, overcometh. Uh, our couples class, and if you haven't joined us for a while on Monday nights, we had a great time this past Monday. The series we're studying right now is called Overcomer. Being an overcomer, Last this past Monday night, we talked about overcoming our fear with what? Faith. Faith will erase our fears. And when I think about how, how can you and I be an overcomer through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I've had a lot of people who have texted and, and called and, and various things. And no doubt, look here, I love my mom. I miss her already. But guess what? I can overcome because of Jesus. And, and listen, we need to understand because of what the Lord's done for us and what he is going to do in the days ahead that we can be an overcomer. I've given you some verses there. We won't take time, but notice quite a few verses in chapter 2. There's one, uh, three verses in chapter 3 that deal with this word, overcometh. And, and I've, a lot of times, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I love to study the grammar side of things. Notice the word is not overcome, it's overcometh. And that E-T-H, and I've mentioned this before, that means it's a continual, ongoing action. We don't just overcome once in our life, we are continually overcoming these things that we're facing in life. What a wonderful thing to be a child of God and to know the Lord. And so we see that in the book of Revelation. The key phrase, he that hath an ear, let him what? Let him hear. You say, well, I have two ears. Are you listening to the Lord? My pastor has this uh, quote, this phrase that he says often, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit of God. When God speaks... Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. Whatever God asks you to do, what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, do it. And that's why the Spirit says here, and we see it quite a few times, here's one instance, Revelation 2, 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So look, as a pastor of this church, you know what I want to do? I want to hear what the Spirit saith to our church so that I can help as God leads me to lead our church to what God would have us to do. And so, again, we need to all be doing that, listening to what the Spirit hath to say to us. The key thought, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book deals with. And we see the uh, spiritual thought is to read the Word of God. I know that sounds trite, doesn't it? Read your Bible. Again, how many times do we not read the Word of God? And look at verse 3 again. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. So again, listen, you want your life to be strengthened? Read the Word of God. 
And that's what we have to do. Now, how do we see the Lord in the book of Revelation? We see him as the living, victorious Savior. And remember, up from the grave he arose. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Notice uh, verse 18 of the first chapter. Jesus said these words, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive for how long? Forevermore. Amen. And notice he says, and I have the keys of hell and of death. And so the Lord has conquered death, hell, and the grave, and we are grateful for that. That's why we can be overcomers. That's why we can be victorious. Now look, as we get to the last part of our outline tonight, sometimes I do this, and I had to do it with the book of Revelation. I do believe there are some very unique things that come to the book of Revelation. And I want you to look at a few of these with me, and I'm going to go over them rather quickly tonight. Some of them may be very new to you. Some of them may be things that you have seen before or maybe didn't quite understand. And I'm just going to ask that maybe the Holy Spirit would allow me to say it in such a way that would help you to understand. And if you don't, maybe then you can study it out and ask the Lord to give you understanding there. So one thing I want to start with is going back to chapters 2 and 3, because again, we see the Lord, the person of Jesus Christ in chapter number 1. When we get to chapters 2 and 3, what do we see? Well, we see the, the matter of these churches coming into view that he mentions here, churches in Asia Minor. Now, to help you understand where we currently are today, this is 2020, you are at Bible Baptist Church. But understand when it comes to the Word of God, as it says there on your paper or on the screens there, at this present hour, according to the Bible, we are living between Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and we're living between there and Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Now look in your Bible, if you have it there, look at chapter number 3, and I want you to see this. Because before you get to this portion of the Bible in Revelation chapter 3, you've already gone through all the churches except for the last two of the seven churches. When you get to chapter 3 and verse number 7, Notice it says, to the angel of the church in where? Where? Philadelphia, okay? So again, we'll, we'll talk here in just a minute about that church, but notice he says in verse 7, he says, these things write, or these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Notice what he says to the church. Now remember, the church is not a building, it's the people of God. And he says to the church in Philadelphia, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. You say, Pastor, what exactly? Hey, do you remember when Noah built the ark? Noah couldn't close the door. Who closed the door to the ark? God did. Who sealed the door? God did. Well, certainly right here you see that God opened a door. Now, it's, isn't it interesting that you see, even when you get to look, look at chapter 4 and verse number 1, how John says here, after this, after these churches, he says, I looked, and behold, look at this, a door was what? Open. Now, I really believe, listen to me, I really believe that that door that God opened is still open today. What door? For people to be saved. The gospel is still going forth to the Gentile nations. People are still being saved. Folks, if we didn't believe that, we might as well close our Bibles, close shop, and lock the doors. But the Bible says here, 
the church in Philadelphia that God's opened the door and no man can shutteth it. Now look at the look at as you get to the last part of chapter number three. Notice what he says here as as you look in verse number fourteen under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Now this is the next church after the church of Philadelphia. It's the last of the seven churches, and he says something unique to each one of these. Notice he says in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I would spew thee out of my mouth. And again, we could take the time. He says in the very next verse, he says, And knowest now that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I mean, there is something about this last church. By the way, it's interesting, if you look at these churches, and I might be getting ahead of myself here, many believe, and I do too, that we are living during this Laodicean church age. Now, you may differ, maybe you've never looked at it before, and that's why at the present hour, we, the church, Bible-believing Christians, are living between Revelation 3-7, the church of Philadelphia, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the end of of the last of the churches, the church of Laodicea. Now notice the next statement there that you have in your notes is, and let me say this, that I really believe that there are members of the church of Philadelphia, which as you study the word of God was the true church. I really believe there are still people on the earth today that are a part of the true church. I believe we are a part of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also present with us today are those that would be considered Laodiceans. They are lukewarm Christians that are on this earth. They are lukewarm professors who profess but do not possess the love of God and a genuine experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many that say, Lord, Lord, that do not know Christ as their Savior. And there are many today. Now again, we're living during the closing hours of what would be called also the dispensation of grace. If you have your Bible there, I mentioned this verse in verse number chapter number four and verse number one. Again, the, a door was open in heaven, and the first verse, which, a voice I heard, which uh, was a were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, "Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter." So again, when you think about this, look, it is God's grace that is holding back the judgment of God, and uh, look. The Lord could come back today. So we are living during this dispensation of the grace of God. Now, again, I don't always necessarily make reference to it. I've heard people, I think all of these, it would be the dispensation or the time of God's grace. I believe it's the dispensation of the church, the New Testament church. I believe it could be considered the dispensation or the time of missions. And certainly we see that in the Word of God. Whatever you, However you look at it, we are living in the closing hours of this present dispensation, this age that we're living in. By the way, the word dispensation just deals with different times, different ages. That's a Bible word, not something that uh, we've come up with tonight, and you see that in the Word of God. Now, notice it says in your notes, the next event on God's timetable, anybody know what it is? It's the rapture. That's the very next event. That's the next thing that will happen, and it could take place at any moment. That means the Lord could come back tonight. Uh, His return, here's the word, is imminent, happen at any moment. Do you know when you study the writings of Paul and Peter and others in the Word of God, they believe the Lord could have come back in their day. 
And I believe with all my heart the Lord could come back. And that's why you even see it in the book of Revelation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And I, listen, I, I would love it the Lord would come back and would be just fine with me. Notice Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nobody knows when that's going to happen, only the Father, and we, we understand the next thing that's going to take place is the rapture. Now, in chapters 2 and 3, here's if you get into a good study of chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, what you're going to study is what many consider to be the moral history of the church on the earth. In other words, we're talking all-inclusive in these successive periods of the history of the church from the close of the first century of Christianity to the final rejection of the Laodiceans and the rapture. Now think about this. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came. He lived on this earth. He lived for about 33 and a half years. And he went to Calvary. He gave his life. But he, what did he start? He started the church. He said, I will build my church. And so the church began. The Lord Jesus Christ started the church. And so these seven churches in Re Revelation 2 and three, they, if you put them all together, you can see the entire history of what we call the church right there in those seven churches, and I want you to see this. Now, look at the map that I get, I've given to you. You may have one in the back of your Bible. If you can see that, are you able to, uh, Nazarel, does she know how to zoom that in? Can you zoom that in a little bit more? Maybe, maybe not. And uh, the, the, the churches, now, if you look at them, it, it actually goes in a circle, and you see the set, there you go, the seven churches. So notice you see right there, Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Then you, you have Smyrna, goes up and around. Then it goes up to Pergamos, then Thyatira, then Sardis, then Philadelphia, then Laodicea. And so there's the, by the way, look down, see, see the church in Ephesus, where it's at? If you look right down below it, see that pink box? It says Patmos. That's the isle that John was on when he wrote the book of Revelation. That's where it is in, in relationship to these seven churches that were in Asia Minor. It's kind of interesting how they're in a circle as, according to how they were written here by John. Now look at this little chart that I've given you. I'll let you study it out, but you can see how that these churches, notice that the church in Ephesus, where you find it, and the description of the church in Ephesus was it was a loveless church, loveless. Uh, the church in Smyrna was the persecuted church. The church in Pergamos or Pergamum was the church that compromised. The church in Thyatira was a corrupt church. The church in Sardis was a dead church. The church in Philadelphia, listen, you study it out. That's where you see the great missionary movement of the church during that time period. Notice the dates there, 1755 to 1844. Isn't it interesting? When was America founded? 1776. Notice the dates there. Notice during that Philadelphia church age, you see the, the establishment of our nation. And by the way, I, I really believe that America was a mission field when they came here. And then you see the last one of the churches, the church of Laodicea, is a church uh, the word Laodicea, Laos, is a church of the people or people's rule. Boy, think about how the Bible says everybody is doing that which is right in their own eyes. That's the current time we're living in right now, where everyone is wanting to do what they want instead of what God wants. Now, if you've never looked at a study like this, you can see here, notice 33 
A.D., the church of Ephesus, this is when the Lord established, and you see these periods, and it's kind of interesting because the church in Sardis that was the dead church, that was during the Dark Ages. I'm talking history. Uh, not only Bible, but history, and you can study those out and see how they fit together with history and the different periods of the church, and that, that gives you the moral history of the church on the earth in these successive periods of history. And so notice one thing that, that you'll see is if you go back to chapter number one, look at the Bible mentions in verse number 13 of chapter number one, he starts to talk here about these seven candlesticks. And then in that same chapter, in verse number 16, he mentions seven stars. And I know that years ago, I thought to myself, what, what in the world? Candlesticks, stars, these are in the churches. Now, notice the Bible. I love the Word of God. There are, not always, but there are times where the Bible just gives you the answer. Drop down in verse number 20 of chapter 1, and look at this. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Now what's interesting is, look here, when you study the New Testament and you go to the book of Corinthians and the book of Thessalonians and you go to the book of uh, Colossians or Philippians, those, those, the use in the New Testament for the word church is the word ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. Well, guess what word where it says here that it's talking about the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Guess what word it is? Ecclesia. I really believe with all my heart. There was a church in Sardis. There was a church in Philadelphia. There was a church in Laodicea. I also believe that they represent periods of the history of the church. It's a wonderful study if you look down through it. Now, the interesting thing about the word angel, he says here, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angels there, the seven stars are the angels, is the word angelos. Now, angelos is a word that means messengers. It means sent ones. Watch this. It, it literally means pastors. So it's talking about the pastors of these seven churches, just like I'm the pastor of Bible Baptist Church. Brother Baceno is the pastor of his church in Miami Lakes. There were pastors pastoring these churches in these seven churches that he mentions here. Now, when you move on to chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation, you move from, watch this, you move from earth, which is where the seven churches were, you move to heaven. Look at, look at the first verse again of chapter number 4. He says right here, after this I look, and behold, a door was opened in where? In heaven. So the whole scene changes when you get to chapter 4 and 5 because you move from what's on the earth to what is in heaven. And it's kind of a neat thing when you look at it. You pay attention to your Bible because what you see when you move to chapters 4 and 5 is, listen to this, study your Bible. You know what's missing after chapter 4 all the way through chapter 19? The saints. The church. You can't find anything that resembles the church, the saved, the believers in all those chapters. They're not mentioned there. Why? Because they've been raptured out. 
Okay, so we need to understand the importance here. No mention of the church from chapters four to verse, uh, verse chapter number nineteen. The rapture takes place. Here it is between the last verse of chapter three and the very first verse in chapter number four. And again, it's hard for us to understand that, but you study it out. Now, as we study the book of Revelation, we clearly see seven uh, chief actors or persons in the coming crisis. And, and again, as the deeper you get into the book of Revelation, chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, those, those are some very uh, traumatic times going on. The coming judgments, you see the bowls and the vials and all these things. That are, that are starting to come in view. And then, of course, in the end, you see the glorious reign of righteousness on the earth. So notice these, in the book of Revelation, the seven chief actors or persons that are mentioned, and I've, I've listed them, and I've given you a little bit more in your notes there, some verses that you can look at, not only in the book of Revelation, but you see mention of them in other places in the Word of God. Of course, the most important one is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, uh, that is going to rule and reign. He is worthy to reign. Then you have what is mentioned as the great dragon or the old serpent, Satan. The devil himself is mentioned there. And, of course, uh, Satan also will be supported by his two ministers that the Word of God mentions, and that's the beast and the false prophet. And, again, that's why I said, boy, there is so much in the book of Revelation and then the third uh, person or, or chief actor we see in the book of Revelation is the two beasts. One of them will be religious and one of them will be political. And again, we're starting to see things like this unfolding in our day as we're on this earth. And of course, the rapture has not happened yet. Uh, the fourth one we see is the Antichrist. And of course, this will be the false Messiah. Think about this. Christ, Christos means Messiah, the anointed one. And so anti means uh, a false messiah, a false, and, and by the way, that's all Satan is, he's a counterfeiter, okay? And so we see the Antichrist. Number five, you see another key person is the king of the north, and of course Daniel, Isaiah talk about the king of the north, there's the king of the south that is mentioned in the book of Revelation, and then of course Gog, which is the last dictator of Russia, which is the head of the great northern army, and the book of Ezekiel, these two chapters, strong chapters, chapters 38 and 39, you see uh, that all of these, of course, are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, when you look at these individuals, and I, I kind of went through them quickly, but all of these people will actually join forces with Satan, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, and, of course, his last-ditch effort against Israel. And, of course, uh, notice as you look at these, uh, these that, that will oppose Israel, oppose the Lord, uh, the, the persons that are mentioned that are referenced here are actual men. They're not systems. They're not spirit beings. They have their various roles that will be assigned to them by Satan. And, of course, they will be energized by Satan himself for their ungodly activity. Remember, the Bible says that Satan is the prince and power of the air. And, uh, again, Satan can only do what the Lord allows him to do. But in spite of, of Satan's efforts, notice Jesus the Lamb will destroy all of them in the final battle, and they will fight against the Jews. You see that in the book of Zechariah, the book of Psalms, chapter 83. They'll also fight against the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that in Revelation 19. And, of course, the Lord Jesus will be victorious 
in this final battle. And here's what it boils down to is that righteousness will conquer unrighteousness, good will overrun evil, light will wipe out all darkness, and all things will be made new. And the Bible talks about there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, there will be a new Jerusalem. And that's why we need to join with John as John wrote these words, even so come Lord Jesus. And so we need to just pray and say, Lord, would you come back and come back soon? Now, the only way, and here it is again, I mentioned a couple times earlier, the only way to really try to understand the book of Revelation is to read it. And I probably should have said it this way, to read it and then read it again and then read it again and then read it again. So we need to look to the Spirit of God to reveal these deep truths as he would have us to know them. Uh, John, the same writer, look what he wrote in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but, the sa- but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So what we need is God by his Spirit to help us to understand. And, you know, listen, I, I think a lot of times people look at the book of Revelation and it's like they, they feel like they have to know everything and what it all means and what the toenail on the beast means and what this means and what that means. And I think sometimes we get so enamored with the book of Revelation and the prophecy which is to come that we're missing the most important thing, and that is what God has given us to do at this present time. Now, again, God's given us the book of Revelation, so we should do what we can to understand it. Now, there are some things, and I'll just give this to you. Maybe you have seen this before, but I mentioned earlier, what's the next event on God's timetable? And it's the rapture, where where the Bible says the Lord's going to come back in the air, in the clouds, and so shall we be, uh, we'll be caught up with, together with the Lord and the Lord, that's not the second coming of Christ, that's the rapture where the saved will be taken out. Now notice, as you think about this matter of the rapture, there are some different views. Now listen, only one of these can be Bible. Okay, did you hear me? Only one of them can be true, only one of them can be accurate, only one of them is biblical. But I want you to understand there are various views about when the Lord's going to come back. Now one of them is called the partial rapture view. And so the, what is the partial rapture view? This is where they believe that only believers who are watching and waiting for the Lord's return are the, the ones that are going to be taken in the rapture. In other words, not all believers, only the believers that are watching and waiting. Now again, we know that's not true because the Lord's going to come back for His own. Everyone that is His Will, will he take with him? And so there are some that believe that only part of the believers, and that's why they call it a partial rapture view. Notice the second one is called the pre-wrath. Now think about this. When we say wrath, we're talking about the judgment of God being poured out on this earth. And so there are some that believe that the church will be removed from the earth by the rapture, but here's the key, before the fourth quarter of Daniel's 70th week. Now again, you cannot find clarity in Daniel's prophecy that in the fourth quarter, (laughs) you don't see that in the Word of God, but yet there are some that believe. Now think about that. That means that the church is going to go through some of 
of, of all that God's going to pour out. Well, that's not the scriptures. The Bible says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, it's not a comfort when we're going through, because uh, after the rapture, what happens? The time of tribulation, right? And, and look, God's not going to send us through that time period. That's why the rapture happens. All the saints are gone. So there are some that believe in a partial. Some believe in a rapture that is pre-wrath. Look at this one. There are some that believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, again, think about this. Pre means what? Before. So there are some that believe that the saints will be raptured out before the tribulation period starts. Okay? And so the, when you look in the Word of God, what does the Bible have to say? There are some that believe, number four, in a mid-tribulation. Well, when you study the Word of God, again, does the Bible teach that Christians are going to be taken out before the tribulation starts or in the middle of it? Or then look at the last one. You have post-tribulation. That means that the, the, the saints are not going to be removed from this earth until after the tribulation. That means that all the believers have to go through the time of tribulation. So does anybody know what the Bible teaches? Which one of these views? Pre-tribulational. That's what it teaches. Now, again, I'm not asking you to believe what I believe. I'm asking you to study the Word of God. If you haven't come to that conclusion, then search the Scriptures and, and see what the Bible has to say. But I believe as you study the Word of God, what you find is that the Lord is going to come back and he, we will be caught up together with Him in the clouds. And as that happens, that once He takes us out, then what do we see? We see the time of tribulation beginning. And so there are some views to the rapture. Now, uh, as you think about, I've mentioned it a couple times, as the rapture takes place, it sets off this period known as the time of tribulation. Sometimes people say, well, why have the tribulation period? What's the purpose behind it? Well, look at this. I really believe as you look at the Bible, here's what you find is the time of tribulation, the purpose is to prepare the nation of Israel for her Messiah. Because if you study the Word of God, guess what happened? The, the Jews did not accept that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. As a matter of fact, you talk to Jews today, they're still waiting for the Lord to come. They're still waiting for the Messiah. And so what we see when it comes to the time of tribulation is it's going to prepare the nation of Israel for her Messiah. God's purpose is to bring about the conversion of a multitude of Jews. In other words, many Jews will be saved who will enter into the blessings of the kingdom, and then they will experience the fulfillment of all those covenant promises that God made to the nation of Israel, the, the land and the throne and all those promises that are covenant promises God made only to the nation of Israel. And then notice another great purpose of the time of tribulation is for God to pour out his judgment on unbelieving man and, of course, the nations that will oppose him. And, of course, we'll see, we, you, you read and study, I, every time I read about what God is going to do, it's an amazing thing. But Revelation, or excuse me, the book of Romans, kind of uh, three great chapters dealing with the nation of Israel, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Well, what's interesting is read Romans chapter 11 because what that deals with is the nation of Israel in the future. Revelation, uh, Romans 9 deals with the nation of Israel in the past. Romans 10 deals with Israel in the present. R Romans 11 deals with Israel in the future. Talks about the engrafting and so on. So look at verse 25 of Romans 11. 
he, Paul writes here, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, and notice for how long, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. In other words, when the door is closed and when, when the church is taken out. So you see a wonderful uh, understanding in the Word of God, the purpose of the time of tribulation. So you have the rapture, and then you have the time of tribulation, and then after that, you have the second coming of Christ, and Jesus will come back and establish His rule and reign for how long? For a thousand years. And the Bible, as we talk about that, that, that is what we call the millennial reign of Christ. Millennium is a thousand, so notice it refers to the period of a thousand years of Christ, it being rain, Him reigning on this earth, and you see that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 3. Now, as you look at these three views, uh, and again, people have different understandings, different beliefs when it comes to even the millennial reign of Christ. All three of these actually relate to the timing of the return of the Lord. When is the Lord going to come back and establish His thousand-year reign? So notice the three are the amillennial view, then there is the premillennial view, and then there is the postmillennial view. Now look at those three words. We know that millennial means a thousand, and we know that pre means before, post means after, right? Does anybody know what happens when you put the letter A on a word? What happens when you take moral and you put an A on the end of it and it's amoral? No morals. So notice that amillennial means no millennial reign. So that's the three views. When is the Lord going to come back? When's the timing of the Lord's return? And so an amillennial believes that we are presently, think about this, we are presently living in the millennial kingdom. Now folks, that's impossible when you study the Word of God because some events need to happen before that takes place. The tribulation hasn't happened, the rapture hasn't happened, so we are not amillennialist, all right? And then you look at the post-millennial view that believes that Christ returns after the millennial. Well, again, the Bible establishes that he is going to come back and establish or set up his kingdom on this earth. So, again, when you study the Word of God, we are pre-millennial and we are pre-tribulational. Now, again, don't, don't take my word for it. Study the Word of God and see if you find the same thing as you study the Scriptures. Now, I've given you some food for thought. There's a lot of other things we can cover when we get to the book of Revelation. But let me just say this in closing, and I don't know if I included this in your notes tonight, but no matter what your view is, whether it's on the rapture or whether it's on the millennium, no matter what your view is, understand tonight, if you are saved, you're a child of God, that what you and I need to be motivated to do is to live faithfully for the Lord and to be a faithful witness for the Lord. Why? Because there are some that if they do not trust Christ before it's eternally too late, listen, there's going to come a time when the opportunity to be saved is going to be lost, when the door in heaven will be closed. And we need to make sure that we're being faithful. Now, again, I'm not minimalizing, I'm not downplaying the revelation, the prophecy of the book of Revelation. Are you listening to me tonight? But sometimes people, people want to know all about the prophecy and they're missing what God has given to us and that is the commission. 
that we need to be faithful to the Lord and we need to be a witness for the Lord. And we need to make sure that we are doing that. Why? Because if we do not reach the lost, why did we just have a missions conference? Listen, not so that people can be a pre-millennialist or a post-millennialist, so that people can be saved so they can have a home in heaven someday. Now, again, God's given us an entire book in our Bible, and we need to read it, study it, and, and ask God by His Spirit to help us understand it. And as you read the, the book of Revelation, listen, I, like I said, there's a lot that I'm still asking God by His Spirit to help me to understand. I hope that, again, maybe something tonight might have heightened or, or your awareness or maybe brought about something that maybe you, you've wondered about, but let's ask God by His Spirit to help us to understand this last book and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our week. And let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this evening. I pray that you'd bless your word. Thank you for this wonderful book. And Lord, so much to still learn from it. And I know that if there is some here tonight that is maybe a newer Christian or really hasn't grown much in their life, they're looking at this book going, wow, I don't know if I can ever get a hold of that. And maybe there's some that have studied it, no some, but there's still so much to learn, and yet I don't think there's anyone here tonight that says, yep, got it all, understand it all, know how it's all going to work out, but Lord, may we be ever studying it so that we can understand and have a greater burden for those that are still lost in this world. Give us a great week and bring us back on this coming Lord's Day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.